Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. I'm Molly. Molly, I feel like I have told the story before, so... Always a good way to start a story. (laughs) I know, right? So if I have, you know, guys, just zone out for like the next minute while I gab on. All right. We're talking about dolls today. Okay. The non-Barbie edition. And this is perfect for me, Molly, because as a child, as a young Kristen, I was not allowed to have Barbies. My mother, because my mother thought that they, um, and here, mom, if you're listening, sorry, I'm about to spill the beans because my mother thought that, that she promoted Barbie promoted an unhealthy and unrealistic body image. And, you know, I'm sure your mother was not alone in that. Yeah. You know, she, she had all these brunette little girls running around and, uh, you know, why would she buy us a bunch of blonde, big breasted dolls? She was not a Barbie fan. So, for that reason, I had a Cabbage Patch doll. Oh, well, I had Barbie's and a Cabbage Patch doll. Well, weren't you my just mother these knees? Must have really loved me <laughs> and not been concerned about my body image. No, tell me about your Cabbage Patch doll. Well, uh, my Cabbage Patch doll was named Jane, and I can't remember if that was her name on her birth certificate or not. Nevertheless, her name was Jane, and I would call her plain Jane because Jane had really short hair that I couldn't play with, unlike my sister's Cabbage Patch doll that had long flowing brown yarn hair that she could braid and do cool things like that with, whereas Jane could just, I could put like a hat on her head. And that was it. So I was kind of displeased. I sound kind of resentful about it. Every, every other person I know has fond memories of playing with their cabbage no, patch dolls. Don't get me wrong. I loved playing with plain Jane. But uh I just wish I could have gotten like a cabbage patch doll wig. Or... <laughs> that was my thing when I was a kid. I, I really, I just loved playing with dolls hair. Mm. So a lot of my dolls had like crazy frazzled, messed up hair because I would, uh I'd play salon all the time. 
I think that's a pretty common thing kids do with their dolls. Yeah, which is reflected in, you know, my lovely hairstyle today. It is currently up in a bun. Do you guys want to know a fun fact about Kristen? Her power comes from her bun. She puts it up whenever we start podcasting. This is related to nothing. It's true though. I do feel like I think clearer when my, when my, um, I have long hair as you guys might see on our Facebook page. But this has absolutely nothing to do with dolls, Molly. Why are we talking about my hair? Let's get back to dolls. Yeah. Today is a tribute to three famous dolls that, uh, were common in our childhoods. Mm-hmm. And of course, you're going to want to hear about the dolls that were common in your childhoods. Um, but these are three that meant something to us. Yeah. That aren't Barbie dolls. That are not Barbie dolls. Now, I will say, Molly, I don't want to put words in our listeners' mouths or thoughts in their heads, but I'm banking on at least a few people out there might be surprised that we haven't brought up, you know, the gender implications of girls playing with dolls, you know, because we have talked about how toys are, um, kind of gender segregated where, you know, girls are taught to play with dollies and boys are taught to play with trucks because, you know, of our, uh, because it feeds into our, the social constructs of gender. And isn't that so heteronormative and blah, blah, blah. Are we just teaching girls to become moms? Exactly. Are we're we, not going to do that. We're not doing that today. We love dolls so much. Well, I, you know, <laughs> yes, as a child, I did love my dolls. But, you know, um, one, I think that leads us into our first doll because when we were doing our research about dolls that messed them to us, I really, I found this quote from Madame Alexander, famed doll maker. Mm-hmm. And she said that dolls should contribute to a child's understanding of people, other times and other places. Dolls should develop an appreciation of art and literature in a child. Yeah. And I, and I like to think of dolls that way because while, yes, we can, we can, argue all day long about whether or not it is healthy to give a little girl a doll, what kind of message that sends to her. However, from my own childhood experience, I think from a lot of people's childhood experiences, playing with dolls fostered imagination and fostered, you know, a play and fantasy and all of those things that are really healthy for kids, too. So let's go into the stories behind these dolls that we so love. We st- we mentioned the Madame Alexander quote, so why don't we start with her, Kristen? Now, when Molly asked me what dolls we should talk about, I immediately said, Madame Alexander, because while I did not have Barbie's people, I did have lots of Madame Alexander dolls. I had the big ones that you could kind of, you could play with more. They were more like bigger, heavier baby dolls. And then I also had the collectible Madame Alexander dolls as well, the storybook characters and the little women characters. Loved them. And they were very fun to dress up. And she, Madame Alexander was known for using characters from literature and using characters from from real life and making these glorious clothes for them. In fact, she made some of the first dolls that were actually based on already existing characters. Yeah, and uh, Madame Alexander, maybe we should call her by her real name, Beatrice. Beatrice Alexander. Beatrice she was Alexander. the child of first-generation Americans. Yeah, and she grew up above her father's um, store, which was a, it was essentially a doll hospital. It was the first doll hospital in this country. Mm-hmm. And so she would play with the dolls while they were waiting to be repaired. <laughs> the little broken dolls. And, you know, most of these really fine dolls were coming from Europe. Um, strangely, America, despite the fact that we're talk- talking about three American dolls, um, not known for its doll no. artistry. Yeah, it took a while. I was surprised it took a while for the, the doll industry in the, the States to to really pick up. I don't know, I don't know why. Um, Anywho. <laughs> 
But that's key because um, when World War One broke out, obviously we weren't weren't begging for them to send us their dolls. So um, the the doll hospital was actually threatened, and so one of uh, the first dolls that Beatrice Alexander made was a Red Cross doll to um, sort of rally the troops here at home, and also to keep uh, the doll hospital and the doll business um, going, so that she could make some money. Uh, creating dolls and the success of the Red Cross doll started her career in 1923 is when she gets going with the Alexander Doll Company. Yes. And by 1928, she has adopted the title of Madame Alexander. And Beatrice Alexander was quite a savvy businesswoman. I mean, she built herself a doll empire. For instance, uh, she forged a relationship with Disney, where she created specific dolls to go with certain characters. For instance, uh, in 1933, uh, she came out with dolls to go along with Walt Disney's The Three Little Pigs. And then from there, the, the partnership picked up. She also created the very popular Scarlett O'Hara doll to go along with Gone with the Wind. The book. She made the first yeah. Scarlett doll before she'd even seen a movie and seen any sort of um, vision of Scarlet as conceived by another person. Yeah, so of course, once the movie comes out, they become highly popular. The U.S. government even got in on the Madame Alexander doll train during World War II because they considered dolls to be morale boosters, and so they wanted her to um, to create dolls to essentially lift up American spirits. And she came out with this Margaret O'Brien doll in the 1940s. And it was one of the most, uh, most successful dolls to date. And, uh, it was billed as quote, everyone's ideal of a dear little girl. And you know, the thing I love when I was researching Madame Alexander, besides the fact that she's this really pioneering businesswoman, Mm -hmm. one of the really first successful businesswomen, um, it's just that she's constantly innovating. I mean, Basically, you know, not to diss them, but Barbies, they found a formula they liked mm-hmm. and they kind of just keep repeating it. Yeah. There are variations in, you know, skin tone and clothes and all that. But when you start looking at the uh, amazing variety of dolls that Madame Alexander created, she was constantly experimenting with fabrics, with um, materials that she can make dolls out of. You know, shortly after the Margaret O'Brien doll, she wants to make an unbreakable doll because mm-hmm. she wanted kids to get down and dirty with them. And so she's pioneering the use of plastic. Yeah, she actually partnered up with DuPont mm-hmm. to create the first plastic doll. And she also innovated um, the closing eyelids on on dolls. I remember that distinctly about my <laughs> Madame Alexander baby dolls because when you would lay them down in the crib, their eyes would close. And so it looked like they were sleeping. So, I mean, she's got dolls that can walk, dolls that can crawl. Um, the 1950s are considered the golden age of Madame Alexander dolls. Um, that's where she had a lot of her storybook characters come out and also the international dolls with all the costumes from around the world. Mm-hmm. And that earned her um, a, a some kudos from the United Nations. Yeah. I mean, that's impressive. We think, oh, it's just a, just a doll baby. Oh, it's it a serious business. And the coolest, the coolest creation, in my opinion, is the, um, 36 custom made dolls that she made when Queen Elizabeth II was, uh, coronated as queen. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just these to the, to the pinpoint of detail accurate dolls, so accurate that CBS used them to reenact the coronation on television. Can you imagine like that's if you're a kid in America watching TV and seeing dolls reenact the coronation of Queen Elizabeth? I think my mind would be blown. 
It's really cool. So right around the same time that Beatrice Alexander is starting to build her doll empire, we've got a guy who is building a doll empire as well, but a very different type of doll. Yeah, if if Madame Alexander represents top of the line uh, finery for dolls, then Johnny Gruel and his creation of Raggedy Ann is sort of the the homemade um, but no less loved mm-hmm. version of a, of a doll, the rag doll. And Raggedy Ann was actually um, a bit of an inspiration in, in doing this podcast at all, Kristen, because uh, there were quite a few news stories a few weeks ago about Raggedy Ann's 95th birthday. Wow. That's how long she's been around. So let's talk a little bit about Johnny Gruel and the myths and legends surrounding Raggedy Ann. Yeah, Raggedy Ann has a much more mysterious background than Madame Alexander dolls. Madame Alexander dolls are pretty pretty straightforward. But there has been some misconception about how Johnny Gruel came up with the Raggedy Ann doll. Now, the most popular tale about Raggedy Ann is that Johnny's daughter, Marcella, was wandering around in the attic one day, rummaging through things as little girls are prone to do. When they don't have dolls to play When with. they don't have dolls. And uh, up, she was actually in her, supposedly in her grandmother's attic, and she comes down holding this tattered and faceless rag doll. And she uh, she takes it to her dad, says, Dad, look at this doll that I just found. It's got no face on it. And, uh, and Johnny says, a little Marcella, will I? Let me, let me fix that doll up for you. And he, uh, he paints a face on the doll and Raggedy Ann is born. Kristen, I think we're seeing how, uh, you played with your dolls when you were a little kid. Lots of, lots of fun voices. Lots, that's where it's coming from. Very realistic play. Yep. Um, now that's one story and that's, like Kristen said, the most popular. It's on Wikipedia, but according to one, um, site, dollkind.com. Bookmarked it. <laughs> it's a really great site. You think Kristen's joking. Um, according to one, according to another account, Johnny was in the attic and found the doll himself and was just like, oh, I'm a writer and an illustrator. This would be good to use in some of my pieces. Um, but the, the doll will be linked with Marcella forever because of the fact that A, he did tell her stories about this character, you know, no matter who found it, him or her. But also she died very shortly after she was given this doll. And the death, obviously, of, a, of his young child affected Johnny Grill immensely. And he basically wanted to write down these stories and illustrations to keep the memory of her alive. In fact, in, in one of the later books, there are, you know, dozens of books about Raggedy Ann and Andy, who comes along five years later. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a character named after his daughter. Now, another myth that surrounded her, though, Raggedy Ann and the and the daughter. Yeah, is, this might this might change your your perception of Raggedy Ann once you hear this. I don't know how many people know this, but I had certainly never heard of I it. I hadn't heard of it either. But the the reason uh, Marcella died at the age of thirteen is because she was given a vaccine uh, for smallpox. Mm-hmm. It was mandatory. And uh, the doctor said that that's not what caused her death, but the parents became convinced that that's what caused her death. And so Johnny Gruel in, uh, in his life became this leading proponent of the anti-vaccine movement. And there was rumors and gossip that he made Raggedy Ann as a metaphor for what happened when children got vaccinated. Yeah, they were all limp <laughs> and they couldn't, they couldn't do anything. They were just there. Yeah. He had supposedly made Raggedy Ann, um, intentionally lifeless looking. To symbolize his daughter's death, there really is no concrete evidence that that's 
the case. Though. Well, they, they seem to think that based on when he patented the doll, that he had been working on this doll and her backstory and her look um, before she died. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he could have all of a sudden been like, yes, this limp-like creature now represents my daughter. But that hasn't stopped anti-vaccination groups from using her as a symbol, mm-hmm. uh, from this story kind of getting going. But here's a fun fact, though, about Raggedy Ann. Uh, most of the time we, th- we think of Raggedy Ann as, you know, red-haired ragdoll, Right. Right. And then in the early years, she became a redhead. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, you can kind of design a Raggedy Ann as you as you'd like. There is no really set Raggedy Ann prototype. And because she's in the public domain, any toy company can make their own version of her. Mm-hmm. So that's why no two Raggedy Ann's may be alike. I can think of several in my home that look different from one another. Yeah. Yeah. Different Raggedy Ann's look, uh, look different. It's true. So let's go to another doll that has been mentioned already, but... Another example of how two dolls do not look alike, and that is the Cabbage Patch Kids. Cabbage Patch Dolls, yeah. Um, Cabbage Patch Dolls were so hot when you and I were growing up. Yes, and I can I can see in my head vividly the year I was given a Cabbage Patch Doll. Mm-hmm. It would have been at the height of that mania. And I got it the same uh, birthday that I got the Berenstein Bears book, uh, Little Brother. That's because I had a little brother coming. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I did not realize until we started researching this just what a sensation Cabbage Patch dolls were. Apparently in the mid-80s when when Cabbage Patch dolls were, were such hot items, parents around the holidays would just flood the toy stores trying to get their hands on a Cabbage Patch doll. Fights broke out. Fights broke out. People were injured. Um, in the first year that they were on the market, all right, this is 1982, more than 2.5 million Cabbage Patch dolls were sold, which was an industry record. Who knew? Probably our parents knew, Kristen, because they were the ones trying to find it for us. And yeah. we were... We were luckily oblivious to I know. their battles. I don't, I don't remember, um, I don't remember wanting a Cabbage Patch doll or going crazy over a Cabbage Patch doll, but like, I, like you, uh, remembered you got the Berenstein Bears book around the same time. Mm-hmm. Same year I got my Cabbage Patch doll, Old Plain Jane. I also received my most beloved stuffed animal of all time, a puffalump. <laughs> Do you ever have a puffalump? Are they related to popples? I don't know, but I got a puffalump named Ducky, and it was the best. All right, stuffed animals are another podcast. Okay, Kristen, we're, get back to your dolls. That's what we're always saying to little girls. Um, but you were upset about playing Jane's hair. The fact of the matter is, is the, two, the no two dolls were alike. Yeah, there was a computer system set up just to give each kid a different eye color, different hair, and of course, I think one of the most distinguishing things about Cabbage Patch Kids. Their adoption papers and name. Yes. And sometimes when I just want like a good laugh when I'm shopping, I'll go into a toy store and just read the birth certificates of Cabbage Patch dolls because mm-hmm. they have some wacky names. I don't even remember what mine was called for real or what I named her after that. But, you know, they've always got 
some off off kilter names. Yeah, and the the guy who came up with uh, with cabbage patch dolls actually invented them not too far from where we are sitting right now, Molly. They are our own backyard. Cabbage patch dolls are grown in Georgia. Georgia by a man named Xavier Roberts. Yeah, he was an art student and he was working um in Helen, Georgia at the time and to put himself through art school and he came up with cabbage patch dolls and next thing you know, he has the most popular doll on the market and before before the cabbage patch dolls came out with their you know the plastic heads that they have today um xavier actually invented them as soft-headed dolls okay and those original dolls are incredibly valuable just as an example old chuck from the podcast stuff you should know uh, told us that his sister actually has one of the original Cabbage Patch dolls that has been estimated to be worth $25,000. Yeah. And they were originally sold for $40. 40 bucks, yeah. The original little people with the soft heads. Mm-hmm. And that's just how, just how popular these dolls became. And so basically he was ma- he was doing just fine as a businessman selling the, um, the fabric sculpted dolls. And uh, in 1982, he makes the deal with a toy company to mass produce the ones with the vinyl heads so mm-hmm. that they can sell more, put them out faster. And like Kristen said, that's the year that everything exploded. By 1985, they'd put a Cabbage Patch Kid in space. Wow. And, uh, it, you know, it just keeps they, they, they kind of do fall out of fashion at the end of the 80s. And the company does go bankrupt that was originally making the, the first Cabbage Patch dolls. But they come back. Like throughout the out. 90s, and you can still, like I said, go into toy stores and see them today. They've been mascots for the Olympic team. There have been a lot of rumors about Cabbage Patch dolls, like weird urban legends. Yeah, there are so many articles on Snopes just about the Cabbage Patch kids. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, the whole reason that they were made was not because Xavier Roberts had discovered a cool new way to sew a doll's head. It was because Ronald Reagan wanted to teach America what... The world would be like uh, if if the bomb went off. Yeah, if we, what we would look like. We'd all look like Cabbage Patch dolls. Yeah, it was to get us accustomed to a mutant race of humans. And there was also um, the rumor. Which is, a, which is a rumor. I'm just going to say it again yeah. after. And then there was also the rumor that um, if uh, you sent off your Cabbage Patch doll to get repaired, you wouldn't get it back. Instead, they would mail you a death certificate because, you know, um, they come with these adoption birth certificates. Mm-hmm. And uh, supposedly you would get a death certificate. Not true. Also a rumor. But you know what is not a rumor is uh, that Cabbage Patch dolls are, quote unquote, born in a hospital in Georgia and given a magical formula called a magicillin that brings them to life. Kristen, have you ever been to the Babyland Hospital? I have not been to Babyland Hospital, but Molly, you have and I want to hear about it. It is maybe my favorite attraction in all of Georgia. Whoa. It you go to Cleveland, Georgia. It's an hour outside of Atlanta, and I went uh, just a few years ago, not as a child. I can only imagine the glory that would have been yeah. to go as a child. And they take the fact that it's a hospital for these uh, babies very seriously because a nurse greets you at the door, and you and it's free. That's what's so great about it. It's just a slice of your childhood just there waiting for you. And first, you go through and you kind of see uh, how the Cabbage Patch dolls evolved. You see that original. Uh, sewn face uh, made out of all fabric and then you just see more cabbage patch dolls than you could even imagine exists like just in all sorts of scenes of play like they're on a boat 
They're like having picnics together. They're in school. They're on buses, going on field trips. It's just, if you can imagine a Cabbage Patch doll doing something, it's doing it at that place. Well, yeah, that's not the main attraction. Yeah, this is what I want to know about Mother Cabbage. So in the middle of the whole place is uh, Mother Cabbage. About every half hour uh, on the dot, which is a little suspicious to me, she is ready to give us a new Cabbage Patch Kid. Because the Cabbage Patch Kids are like, they come from the leaves, and they're pollinated by crystals, and there's an entire backstory to it. Basically, everyone gathers around, the crystals start to light up on the Cabbage Patch, a doctor comes out and, like you said, administers a magicillin so that the baby's born healthy. They can do a sonogram, and they tell you if it's a boy or a girl, which mean, which essentially involves just, like, putting a, a tool on a tree, and the tree lights up pink or blue. They cut the cabbage leaves out, and all of a sudden, there's a new Cabbage Patch Kid. Oh, your eyes are lighting up. I, If you have been there, then you know the magic that this is. I might have to go to, to Babyland. It is fun for children and adults alike, probably not for the same reasons. <laughs> it can be a bit of a campy fun field trip, if you will. Yeah, I got to say, of all of all the doll backstories, Cabbage Patch takes the cake. But you know, that that's not really why I never played with it. Like, oh, come here, Cabbage Patch doll. I'll take care of you now that you're not in your leaf of cabbage anymore. I will give you a magicin. <laughs> you know, it's, I don't remember using that part of the backstory to make my fun with her, which I think speaks to why dolls are so beloved yeah. among girls and boys everywhere is because you make your own backstory for them. Make your own backstory. Exactly. You can treat them as, I was telling Kristen, um, that in the gift shop, you can buy like really boring crap for your dolls. Like you buy like the scale to weigh them on. What? Like of all of the accessories to buy for a doll, that sounds like the most boring. But um, but I'm sure there are kids who love to do that, play doctor and weigh your Cabbage Patch Kid. But I think that that is why they're so appealing is you can you can treat them like kids. I never did. I treated them as my students in my pretend school that my brothers would not go to once I gave them tests. And uh, I know that you pretended you were a band of orphans with your dolls, Kristen. Yes, boxcar children. <laughs> oh, way too many, way too many personal facts we are sharing about our childhood in this podcast, which is why I think it's time to ask for listener stories. What kind of, did you guys play with dolls? Uh, what kind of dolls did you play with? Don't be mad at me and Molly for, uh, for talking for 20 minutes about dolls instead and, and not bringing up the, uh, the uh, potentially negative gender implications of dolls. Because you know what? They are a part of our collective childhoods. Well, and so. I think that, you know, I, I agree with Madame Alexander that they foster imagination yeah. in ways that uh, were, were also fostered when I played with blocks, but I played with both of them. Exactly. Don't worry about gender, Kristen. Worry about fun. Fun! Let's have fun and read some emails! <laughs> Well, I've got an email here from Kelly, and this is in response to perhaps your favorite podcast of all time, Molly. Magic. Women Magic. She said, I want to mention an area of female magic that you may have overlooked. It seems to be much more acceptable socially for women to perform elaborate magic tricks so long as they are dressed up as clowns. I wonder if that's because they're not presenting themselves as traditionally feminine, but instead look childish or buffoonish. Interesting theory, that Kelly is an interesting B. Theory yes. might be something to that. You might want to look into that, Molly. I've got one here from Katie about uh, musical instruments and gender, and she writes: In some matriarchal Native American tribes, only men are allowed to play ceremonial drums for one pretty cool reason. 
These traditional drums are played on the ground, and the earth, being a mother figure, has immense power. If women were to play the drums, the power that comes from their connection with Mother Earth would just be far too great. Men, here being the weaker sex and not having that connection, need to play the drums so that the only power is from the drum beat and not from women and Mother Earth. I've always found this pretty interesting because it's the opposite of what we find sometimes in our culture, where women might not be able to handle certain instruments because of the size or what have you. In this case, the woman is too strong to even touch it. Very cool fun fact. Very cool fun facts. Keep sending us fun facts, and、um, please, please send us and share your your childhood doll stories、um, to balance out all of the <laughs> all of the、uh, childhood stories that Molly and I just shared with you all. And I hope that you enjoyed it.、Uh, send us an email. It's momstuff at howstuffworks dot com. You can also write on write all over our Facebook wall. We're on there, and、uh, you can finally Twitter follow us or Mom Stuff Podcast. And then, last but not least, you can head over to our blog, Stuff Mom Never Told You, at the URL HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking, because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise—all things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for '80s hair bands. Not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money, so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association member, FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A and E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity Voice Remote. 